0: First message this afternoon is from Mr. Reg Noland. It is entitled Another Gospel. Reg. Noted British philosopher and writer G.K. Chesterton at the beginning of the 20th century said, When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. The modern human race, particularly in the U.S. and Europe, is becoming just such a species. In the name of tolerance, in the name of tolerance, we now approach belief with an egalitarian attitude. His belief is just as good as anyone else's. Everyone is entitled to his opinion. Is it any wonder then that the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life found shifts taking place in the American religious landscape? Based upon interviews with more than 35,000 Americans 18 and older, the U.S. Religious Landscape Survey finds religion, religious affiliation in the United States is both very diverse and extremely fluid. What does that mean? means our beliefs are all over the map. We believe anything and everything. And what's more, we switch from one belief to the other very rapidly, very fluidly. That there's no standards anymore, no guidelines for what makes true, I'm, I'm going to read some of the, the findings from the um, Pew Forum on Religious Survey. By the way, it's a it's a very interesting study. You might want to look at it. And you said it's the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, and it's the U.S. Religious Landscape Survey. However, uh, statistically speaking, 35,000 people sounds like a lot. But compared to the population of the United States, it's not really. For example, I looked for us in the survey. We weren't there. We weren't there. There wasn't one Sabbath-keeping Church of God member in 35,000. Does that tell us how rare we are? Does that tell us how rare we are? Okay, here's some of interesting statistics. More than one quarter of American adults have left the faith in which they were raised. The survey finds that the number of people who say they are unaffiliated with any particular faith is more than double those who say they were not affiliated with any particular race, religion as children. Among Americans 18 to 29, one in four say they are not currently affiliated with any particular religion. By that they mean that they're either agnostic, atheist, or non-denominational, whatever that means non-denominational. It amazes me that we can have all these churches uh, here that are non-denominational churches. That What do they talk about? <laughs> I, I'm really curious. What do they talk about if they're non-denominational? It's just, it's just oh, flowers and good feelings, I guess. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, The landscape survey confirms that the United States is on the verge of becoming a minority Protestant country. For the number of Americans who report that they are members of a Protestant uh, denomination now stands at barely 51%. So on the verge of changing and becoming a non-denominational country more than anything else. While Americans who are unaffiliated with any particular religion have seen the greatest growth in numbers as a result of the change in affiliation. Uh, let's see, like the other major groups, people who are unaffiliated with any particular religion, that's 16.1%, by the way, also exhibit remarkable internal diversity. So even within the group that claims to have no affiliation, there's diversity. Okay, although one quarter of this group consists of those who describe themselves as either atheist or agnostic, 16% and, or 1.6% and 2.4% of the adult population overall, the majority of the unaffiliated population, 12.1% of the adult population overall, is made up of people who simply describe their religion as nothing in particular, nothing in particular. This group in turn, is fairly evenly divided between secular unaffiliated, that is, those who say that religion is not important in their lives, 6, 6.3% of the population, and those who are religiously unaffiliated, that is to say, for whom the religion is somewhat important or very important in their lives, overall population. Okay, a couple of other pieces here. Let's see. Men are significantly more likely than women to claim no religious affiliation. Nearly one in five men say they have no formal religious affiliation compared with roughly 13% of women. If there are no men in the leadership role, in the taking the leadership role in the family, if we're advocating a particular religion, it's no wonder our society is collapsing. Among people who are married, nearly 4 in 10, 37%, are married to a spouse with a different religious affiliation. This figure includes Protestants who are married to another Protestant from a different denominational family, such as a Baptist who is married to a Methodist. Hindus and Mormons are the most likely to be married, 78% and 71% respectively, and to be married to someone of the same religion. Uh, Mormons and Muslims are the groups that are the, have the largest families. More than one in five uh, Mormon adults and 15% of the Muslim adults in the U.S. have three or more children living at home. Let's see. I don't want to read all of this, but give you some idea of what the survey included, and you can do your own research online as well. People who are not affiliated with any particular religion and Muslims stand out for their relative youth compared to other religious traditions. About 3 in 10, 31% and 29% respectively, are under the age of 29 and more than 7 in in 10, um, 71% and 77 respectively, are under the age of 50. Comparable numbers to the or comparable numbers for the adult population are 20% under the age of 30 and 59% under uh, age of 50 for the rest of the population. By contrast, members of the mainline Protestant churches and Jews are older on average than members of any other group. Roughly half of the Jews and members of the mainline churches are age 50 or older, compared with approximately 4 in 10 American adults overall. (coughs) Jehovah's Witness have the lowest retention rate of any religious tradition. Only 37% of those who say they were raised as Jehovah's Witnesses still identify themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses as an adult. So, what does this all mean? Our willingness to believe anything (coughs) should really not surprise us, though. For the Apostle Paul encountered the very same problem less than a decade into his ministry. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 4. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the, subtl- from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which we have not ac- accepted, you might be- well bear with him. That is to say, you might tolerate him. You might accept him in. You might accept his views and put up with him. Turn also, same problem, not only happened in Corinth, but also in Galatia. Turn to Galatians 1, through 6-9. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, another gospel, which is yet not another. But there may be some trouble among you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> but though we, are an angel from heaven, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, now I say again, If any man preach any gospel unto you other than that which you receive, let him be accursed. Please note, Paul is not addressing any uh, some overt pagans falling down before trees and rocks and stones. They are not ostensibly worshiping a mountain, a river, or an ocean. They're not dancing naked around some bonfire in an orgiastic frenzy. No. Rather, Paul is addressing Christian converts at Corinth and Galatia. That's who he's talking to. Professing believers that have so quickly deviated from his teachings. They had adopted another gospel. Yet at the same time, not another doctrine gospel. So it looks like Christianity, sounds like Christianity, but really isn't. It's something completely different. Their uh, gospel was still nominally Christian, but it had been twisted and distorted by subtlety into something that just missed the mark. But you know, if you miss it by an inch, it's just as good as missing it by a mile, isn't it? If someone shoots a gun at you and he misses you by an inch, that's just as good as he missed you, miss you by a mile, isn't it? Okay? Um, so, just so, their faith had become perverted by little things that had crept in under the umbrella of tolerance. And Paul wasn't alone. Peter had the same problem. Turn to Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there are false prophets among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves with destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. What does that mean? They're going to turn the people in the ways of making profit to gain filthy lucre, to to leech all their money from them. Uh, what's the prosperity doctrine, for example, that they have? The only more people becoming prosperous are so the preachers themselves are getting all the money. The apostles quickly were quite shocked and, I quite imagine, quite exasperated as well by how quickly the people departed from that faith once delivered. But Jesus was not at all shocked. In fact, he even prophesied that such apostasy would take place. In fact, the very first warning in his Olivet Prophecy addresses the problem of false prophets. Turn to Matthew 24, uh, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, Luke 21, the companion verse, uh, the parallel verse in, in Luke uh, 21, 8, adds one extra phrase. I'm going to look at that as well. And he said, Take heed that, know that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draws near. Go ye not after them. So, note that these deceivers are not so bold to claim to be Christ. They're not claiming to be Christ themselves. Rather, they are ministers who come in his name, acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, but twisting and perverting the gospel into some kind of counterfeit doctrine that deceives many. As I also noted in Peter, in, back up in Peter earlier, they do so for the purchase of merchandising the masses, profiting from the gullibility of the people who are desperate for spiritual food there's a hunger in this world for spiritual food and there, we've got people who are ready to in the marketplace to dish it out they are very persuasive as Christ warned us in Matthew 24, 24 there shall arise false Christ false prophets and, shall view, and they shall view, show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible that they should deceive the very elect These are not ministers of God. Rather, they are ministers that are motivated by mammon, but for monetary gain, out for monetary gain at the expense of the people that they should be serving, that they should be serving. Paul rightly identifies them for what they are. 2 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And it is no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Here he is echoing the words of Christ himself. Back in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Beware the false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. For you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to develop what I would call healthy skepticism. I like that idea. Healthy skepticism. When presented with any kind of new truth or new doctrine. Paul exhorts us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, my favorite verse, I think. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Test it. Prove it. Know it with certainty. Don't just accept anyone's word for it. Well, John issues a very strong warning as well. John, 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they, be, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into this world. Not just a few here and there, but many false prophets are out in the world. Paul also advises Timothy on how to prepare prepare for such deception. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 to 4, he says, Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. That's why we do the holy days, by the way, over and over and over. It sounds like it's repetitious after many, many years, but we do it in season and out of season so that it becomes ingrained in us. That it becomes part of us so that we know it. And we have no doubt. We are we have confidence of it. In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Be pa- you know, be patient with people though, in the process. For a time will, there will be when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap up teachers to themselves according to their own lures, tickling the ears. And they will turn away their ears from the truth, and we turn to myths, fables, superstitions. So, what do we do? We need some test points. How do we evaluate whether we are presented with whether what we're presented with is part of the true gospel of Christ or part of another gospel designed to make us deviate from the straight gate and a narrow path into the wilderness of confusion for God is not the author of confusion Our principal test is consistency consistency everything has to mesh together if it doesn't something's wrong Okay Is the new material consistent with the preserved, written Word of God? If the new material blatantly contradicts something that we know to be true, then we can confidently reject it out of hand, right? For example, if the new gospel advocates Sunday worship instead of Sabbath worship, we know that it is not of God, right? If it posits the existence of immortal souls that bound off the heaven or hell at our death, Then we know that the author is the devil. If it demands that we accept ideas that are based on mystery and revelation uh, to an elect few from some dubious, unsubstantiated source instead of ideas that are derived from conclusions that we reach with our God given logical minds, then we should be immediately suspicious of the fruit. If it denies the divinity, of the Father and the Son only, then it is blasphemy. If, a, if this new, if the new another gospel dismisses the Levitical Holy Days in favor of the more popular hol- holidays, then we know that it is the gospel of another Christ, a counterfeit Jesus, not the one way, truth, and life of the Jesus of Scripture. Consistency. That's our main test. That's our main test. Secondary test we could use is to consider the character of the source. If we know with certainty the character of the individual, be it good or bad, doesn't matter, then the person poses no threat to us because we know how to regard any statement he makes. While he may be able to disguise our character temporarily, we cannot maintain that masquerade forever. Eventually, one's true character will be exposed. One's true character will be exposed. What we do in private, or what we say to our confidants, is far more revealing of our character than any public pronouncement. For example, former President Bill Clinton all right, what know was politically savvy. Very savvy. He, could, he knew exactly what buttons to press and when to make things happen. He had his finger on the pulse of the world, even. But, he had the morals of a hound dog, and I hope I'm not <laughs> offending any hound dogs in the process. <laughs> because we knew his character, he knew how, we knew how to take each statement he made in context. According to Lucille... My orneriness comes through even on video. Is that true? Is my orneriness comes through even on video. They say even when I'm giving a message or leading song or even just singing with the praise and worship team, my orneriness comes through. Is that true? Huh, who would have thought? Okay, so now, after nearly 30 years with this group, you guys pretty well know when to take me seriously. And when there's some orneriness afoot, we also have an aid in determining the validity of any kind of new proposed truth because we know the plan of God. We know the plan of God for mankind as reflected in his annual holy days. And we rehearse that plan throughout the, through the ceremonies of the holy days every year to keep it fresh in our minds. It has become ingrained in us so much that discerning the veracity of any proposed new truth is almost automatic. We have become that attuned to what God's plan is, and we can recognize it. We recognize immediately when something doesn't mesh. But such discernment develops only with years and years of prayer and study. What's our favorite, one of our favorite passages? Isaiah 28, you know it. You know it by heart. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Those weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept on precept, line on line, line on line, Hear a little, there a little. With, for with stammering lips and with another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest, cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they were not willing to hear. But the word of Jehovah was with them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. By the way, you know what happens if you fall backward? If, if you get struck by a, a minister and you fall backwards, that's not of God. We always fall forward in, in worship. Okay, we can lastly... Lastly, we can recognize deception if the deception openly admits that it is such. Okay? It has always amazed me, amazed me that the Book of Mormon admits that it is another gospel of Christ. Brian? Show the video show the um, picture. Okay. The, 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 the. They put the Bible and the Book of Mormon on equal footing on the world. It's another gospel. It, it, they claim that it is consistent with the Bible. It's not. It's not. While I do not doubt I'll do the second video as well. This is the cover This is the cover of the Book of Mormon. Read it. Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And we just saw that that idea of another gospel is thoroughly condemned. What was the word? Let him be accursed. Well, I do not doubt... That Christ could have appeared to the Native Americans, uh, uh, Native North Americans, Indians in the Stone Age, somewhere between 600 B.C. and 400 A.D., as they claim, just as he did to the ancient Brits. I have no doubt about, I have to doubt the authenticity of this test text because it was delivered to a previously unknown prophet named Mormon who recorded the revelation on golden plates and buried them so they could be found and translated by Joseph Smith under the direction of an angel. What did we read about angels earlier? An angel named Moroni, Moroni, Moroni. As a group, the Latter-day Saints demonstrate very moral behavior. They're good people in terms of social behavior. But since they are Trinitarian Sunday keepers, with immortal souls who do, not, who do not observe the holy days but keep traditional holidays such as Christmas. Remember the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and all their Christmas concerts. And they and shroud their rituals in mystery and secrecy. They do not let anyone into their temple. I find this, another God, testament of Jesus Christ, to be inconsistent with the written word of God and I am suspicious of anything that comes out of it. Because the beliefs are founded on, that it's founded upon are fictions. They are deceived just as much as the Catholics are deceived at present. And, but they are, as I said, a very moral people. I am relatively confident that they will be among the early converts after the second resurrection. I'm pretty sure they're going to be in that first group. But right now, they are simply deceived. Conclusion. The world is full of false doctrines. Alternate gospels which have corrupted the true gospel of the kingdom of God and the unfathomable plan that God has for mankind and has turned it into mystery and stupidstition. Don't get duped. Don't get duped. Study. Keep yourself ready. Develop that healthy skepticism that I was talking about, about those new truths that we're presented with. And apply the test of consistency to rightly discern the way of life. Don't invest in another gospel.